0: Hello again, gentlemen. Welcome to the first day of Thatches Thatch Can Style Wrestling. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours, squirrel nut!
1: What does WrestleMania mean to Brock Lesnar? It's a day that I get to show up, kick somebody's ass, and get paid to do so out loud, we can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a and thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove that Lawler didn't have the guts.
0: Hey there folks, welcome to another episode of the Desert Island Comp. I'm your host, Sam DiMaggio, and with me on this special episode is JML, friend of the network. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me,
1: Sam. We've been going back and forth for a couple months trying to hammer this out, and it's something I really wanted to do, and... We just haven't gotten gotten together at the right
0: time, but now we're here. Yeah, these are always – they feel like they should be easy to plan. And then there's always life gets in the way. Uh, but I'm glad we can finally make the time and kind of make this work out. And obviously, you do a lot of episodes on the podcast with Quentin and Tim, and those are always amazing. So everyone go listen to – if you're listening to this, when this comes out, the latest episode of – Gwen and Tim are with JML on there. So to set up for folks that may not have listened to an episode before, and this is your first desert island comp. Let me break it down for you. What we have is what JML would take with him to a desert island. He has a selection of 10 matches and three promos and angles. He can take with him for the rest of his days. And we're going to break down kind of, why that is, what's drawn him to these matches, and what, why that works for him and probably against some of his history. But I like to start all of his episodes talking to our guests. What got you into wrestling? Okay, so
1: how I got into Rex wrestling was at a really young age, and it was through my dad. My dad got me into wrestling, because he was a wrestling fan. He um I'm from the Northeast and I grew up in New Jersey. And so did he. Um, New York, New Jersey area. So for him, he grew up on seventies, seventies, base, mainly, mostly seventies. Um, WWF, you know, Bruno San Pedro Morales, Don Leo Jonathan was his favorite wrestler. Um, you know, Dusty, when they, Dusty came up through WWF, he always liked him. So, you know, Andre the Giant. I remember he said Talk to me about seeing Andre the Giant in in a small armory. Um, it might have been Jersey City, I don't know, but um, but yeah, like I was born in the '80s, so he got me into wrestling, and it was WWF country, so I got through. I got to watch wrestling through him, and I was watching probably my first memories was Ultimate Warrior match, um, very similar to <laughs> Brian Danielson, um, so. <laughs> But uh my tastes have changed over the years so um not not an ultimate warrior fan like back back in the day he rocked but you know, as I grew older I knew what was what was right for me and what wasn't so that's that's how I got into wrestling
0: yeah and a spoiler for this episode we are not gonna bring up ultimate warrior at least within the context of a matchless thing no no <laughs> not at all so this kind of this goes back this is kind of family ties in that in that respect um interesting we always kind of hear the stories of either it's something you do with your family or something you did very outside of your family and it's always fun to kind of see okay who's kind of got brought in from the homestead so that's amazing i love it so we're gonna get it started with match number one on gmail's desert island comp and first up, we have from Ring of Honor's Final Battle 2005, it is Kenta versus Low-Key. Why did you choose this match for your Desert Island comp?
1: Okay, I chose this match, I mean, for for the whole concept of a Desert Island comp, um, I sort of thought of this like as a, sort of like a mixtape. Like, just putting random stuff on doesn't have to be chronological. But there's rhyme and reason to it. But with this, it takes me back to when I first discovered um, Kenta. Like, Kenta was right around the time Kenta... That I first discovered Kenta was in high school. And I thought he was the coolest wrestler I'd have ever seen up to that point. And... I had seen Low Key before through um, TNA of all places, and I thought he was cool as cool as hell too. Um, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't the early Ring of Honor fan. Um, like the first Ring of Honor stuff I watched, it was it was those first shows, but they were sold like at a like at like Sam Goody. You remember <laughs> Sam Goodies?
0: I, I, do not. Not... <laughs> I do not. I do not.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> there was these things Sam called uh, video stores, <laughs> and like uh CD, like they would sell CDs, like a coconuts. Do you remember coconuts?
0: Yes, or, I do remember coconuts. Okay. Remember coconuts.
1: So Sam Goody coconuts. They would they would be like the same thing, and they would sell mostly music, but they also sold DVDs and movies. And a lot of times it was still wrestling and ring of honor. They made DVDs, um, for the first three shows, I believe. I think the label, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like, take, take Mas- take down masters. Might've been something like that. I don't, I don't remember, but I bought those through Sam goodie and I watched those and I was blown away. Um, by Loki. I remember buying that right after I saw Loki on TNA, um, when he, I think it was him versus AJ, uh, you know, TNA, one of those t- random TNA pay-per-views that were weekly. So with this, with this match, um, this was coming, this was to the end of 2005. It was coming right after the whole buzz of Joe versus Kabashi and stuff like that. And that's, and that always, that piqued my interest. like Ring of Honor always piqued my interest, but I never really watched it, always followed through results because... At the time, I didn't have a high-speed internet, and I wasn't buying a lot of DVDs, so with Final Battle, this was one of the first couple of DVDs I bought and from Ring of Honor, and it just fucking blew me away how Kensa low-key, like, they they just meshed so well. And and like I said before, Kensa, I thought, was the coolest wrestler i ever seen in my life at the, at the time. Um, and for me, I was, a, I was coming off as a Jushin Thunder Liger fan, you know, and a Sting fan as a kid and a Bret Hart fan. But Kento was the coolest dude because it, 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 I don't know, it was, it's just hard to explain how I, I just connected with me. And, um, this match is so brutal and, and it got, it got me into Noah. You know, I, I heard, I read about Noah on the internet, but this was just like, all right, I need to pay attention to Noah.
0: Yeah, and Kenta was the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, even with folks, other imports that Ring of Honor would bring in, Kenta always felt different. Like, Kobashi is the legend. The Dragon Gate guys are. They're Dragon Gate guys. It's not specifically, oh, it's Shingo, it's uh, Shima, it's whomever. With Kenta, it's Kenta. Uh, that's kind of the draw. And it's kind of wild how his impact, it's in the small portion of the United States, feels like it transcended a lot of American fans into Noah fans at that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and with with Kenta, I mean, it's it's really hard to, I think, if you never saw him in real time, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it because you what you see of him present day. Um, being in the bullet club and whatever, like, um, he was just, just this, uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) it's hard to, it's hard to explain. He was just this ass kicker, but he wasn't the biggest, the biggest guy. Like he was just, um, he didn't have like real prestige. It was just like, you were. it felt like you were on the ground floor of something really revolutionary when you watched him wrestle. Um, even though you, if you watch, if you, what I did was dig, you know, deeper more and more into my wrestling fandom and found out, you know, there was guys not seemed better than him. Well, of course better than him, but more badass than him. But at the time I was just like, Whoa, this dude, like, like new Japan was my gateway to Japanese wrestling. Um, And I remember with New Japan watching um, a random WCW Saturday morning show. And they were showing highlights of Great Muda, Sting versus the Steiner Brothers at the Tokyo Dome. And I was always conditioned like wrestling like that. And then WCW bringing Liger and Nagata and Kensei Sasaki and those guys. I always thought, okay, that's Japanese wrestling that's cool. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really into the all Japan stuff. I did until I got older and was able to like buy, buy DVDs and backtrack and stuff like that. But with Kenta, like to me, that was just like, holy shit. Like it was, um, and then with low key, low key equally, like I always thought low key was, was a great wrestler. um, some people still think he still is, um, but um, but with him, like I, I, I really think, and it was in in that weird time period in the two, in the mid two thousands where, um, major company, you know, the major companies, you know, TNA was sort of getting these guys like Loki and Joe and AJ and Roger Strong and Austin Aries and and Alex Shelley and all. Chris Saban, all these guys, but um, you know, WWE was the big dog, WCW was dead, and WWE really just did not um, take a look at these guys, you know, and didn't take a look, and it's kind of the reason why, like, Brian Danielson and Punk and all these guys are big stars now. They should have been big stars in the 2000s, you know, making major money instead of you know, WWE pushing, you know, Randy Orton and Cena. And, th- and those guys are, are great, too. But at the time, it was just like that groundswell of these amazing guys. And Ring of Honor just had a whole bunch of them. I mean, I, it's, I've it's i told people before going to Ring of Honor show, the one, the one Ring of Honor show that pops in my mind was, um, I've never really watched it back, was the... Um, it was the, it was a show with the Kings of wrestling. They dropped the, they tag belts, Claudio and Chris hero dropped the tag belts to Chris Daniels and Matt, Matt Seidel. And, um, throughout through up and down that card, um, I think Shingo faced Roderick Strong, um, the Briscoes faced Joe and homicide in a street fight, um, Stevie Richards faced someone, I mean, and I remember Nigel was on there. It was just so many of those guys, and they still are relevant today, and it's almost 20 years later, and it's just amazing how WWE, who was just at just the number one promotion at the time, just did not get it, and this kind of exemplifies the time of it, you know, Kenson, Loki.
0: Loki is definitely an interesting one. Just because of his personality in the mm-hmm. sense that he is one of the few wrestlers that at somewhat of his athletic peak, he did get a shot at both TNA and WWE. Um, even if the WWE run was ultimately kind of doomed from the start. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that of all the guys, he seemed to get at least, at least a couple shots to, to make it work. Um, but it feels like you need someone like that to uh, loosen the pickle jar a little bit um, for folks that maybe have a little bit more uh, head on their shoulders less, a little less ego going into it but these two specifically always felt like to me this matchup uh, have two sides of the same coin in a sense and I think kind of discussed that to, to some extent but these were two like ass kickers yeah, like, not the biggest dudes in the world. And, like you knew that you've seen bigger dudes on TV or elsewhere, but they pack so much punch in everything they're doing.
1: Yeah, and and it also just I know in Japan MMA was was king around that time, but it was coming to a close with Pride, and you know you a scandal, but also like in boxing, um, Floyd Mayweather was on his rise and. Also, Manny Pacquiao. So, like the concept to me of like smaller guys, you know, just being ass kickers was not foreign to me. It was just like, all right, you know, Ring of Honor is kind of doing it in a in a better way in wrestling. That to me, I think should have been really acceptable um, throughout wrestling, but it just wasn't the case. But I fuck, I I love this
0: match. <laughs> yeah. Still, yeah. This is a real humdinger. We haven't talked about the match itself a whole lot, but it's a humdinger, I would Mm -hmm. say, by by and large. It's just one of those matches that absolutely lives up to the hype of, oh, the biggest ass-kicker junior in Japanese wrestling against arguably the biggest American ass-kicker on the U.S. Indies. Or... I guess just kind of in the U S as far as juniors go, like this is, this is two dynamite sticks just blowing off against each other. And it's unlike really a a lot of matches you'll see period. Um, Just because so few wrestlers are going to go quite like this. It either is like, I just like shoot fight at that point, or uh, they get a little too fancy with it, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just, there is not a lot of, thrills to this match. All in all.
1: No. And it's just the punches, the kicks, the chops, everything, just the, also the flow of the match. Just, I like, and you'll see with this, with this list, I like matches that just doesn't, I won't say like, are just go, go, go. It's not like that, but, um, sometimes it doesn't, doesn't let up. Um, <laughs> and with these two they just don't let up and it was, but it just had enough pacing for enough enough of the selling could that can linger um and it was just realistic and to me i i just I just love it
0: you want a little bit more flow than Epps I'm yes. with you I'm with you 100 percent all right do you think you're do you have any more things you'd like to kind of talk about with Kenta and Loki or do you want to kind of move on to the next matchup? Uh, we can move on to the
1: next matchup, yeah.
0: All right, next up, match number two is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat from Chi-Town Rumble. JML, why did this match make your Desert Island Comp?
1: Um, with this match, and um, it's funny enough, with this match, I didn't watch it until I got the WWE DVD, uh, like it was, it was, it's not officially called the best of the 80s, but it's like called the wrestling superstars of the 80s. And and this match was on it. And I had, I'd seen Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat from, um, the class of the champions, the two out of the three falls match. And I'd seen, the, uh, the was Music City Music City Showdown? I would I would say I think that was the title of the pay per view. Yeah. Or um, but I never seen this match, and I know Dave Meltzer rated five stars. I didn't know Dave Meltzer was there. He's there in the front <laughs> row.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's on camera with uh, Brad Muster, um, the Chicago Bears fullback, because Jim Ross po- points it out. But it's it's quick. It's. I think this is the best Rick Flair, Steam, Ricky Steamboat match that I had seen out of all of them, out of all of the heralded ones. This goes probably twenty five minutes, um, but I know it's it's sub twenty minutes. I don't have it in front of me, but um, I just it, this match kind of blew me away when I when I first watched it, and that when I first watched it was in the two thousands because. Um, the pacing was was quick, but also let things settle. I mean, the opening salvo is um, you know Steamboat your your train chops, and then Flair takes a powder, and and I think that's kind of a lost art um, in modern wrestling. And with this match um, to build up to the up the ebbs and flows, um, the like we were talking about, and with Steamboat. Um, getting the flash, getting a flash pen, but, um, you know, the referee is down and, and things like that. And then you actually have him go over flair, um, and just re- a relentless pace and they're beating the shit out of each other. It's just, to me, it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. And it's also, I also think this is, should be a modern template for, um, for wrestlers to follow in, in big matches, you know, and it, because if you watch this match, it translates today. If, if I'm not going to mention which two wrestlers, but if any two wrestlers from these big promotions do this match today, it still holds up. Even beat for beat. If you do this match, it holds up and it's a, it's it's a great match and i i this is the only this match and um i would say the match they had on WCW Saturday night where they went 40 minutes and that was in 94 95 i want to say um those two matches are the are the best matches i i think of uh, or the, the not to say the best matches. I think this is the be- their best match. The WCW Saturday Night ones the one the most enjoyable one because I like um older veterans when they get to the end right before they their physical drop off, they have one more final um match if they have a, f- a long-standing feud if they if they're right before their physical prime is over, they could just you know, milk put it all in and and leave it all out there. And I thought they did that on on WCW Saturday night, WCW Saturday night. But this match in particular, Chi-Town Rumble, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, To me, I think it's still, it still holds up today. I think if you want to be a wrestler and you want to do a main event style, you should watch this and model after this. This was hell of a match.
0: I told you before we started the episode, I've never seen a Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat match.
1: And I, it, blew, it blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, why haven't you done this?
0: It is like this and peak all Japan. It's just like, I feel like I'll need to make a meal of it. I feel like okay. I'll need to really get myself invested. And I'm one of those folks where, like, OK, I know the acclaim is so high that I get worried And matches like that. They stress me out because I'm like, oh. The outcome is either, okay, it is one of the greatest matches ever, or it's a disappointment. That's kind of the two ways I, my brain just functions. It's not healthy. It's not good. But that's what it kind of comes down to with some of these things that are like, oh, these are some of the all-time great things that pro wrestling has to offer. I shouldn't watch that in the <laughs> near term. I should watch, you know, this indie from 2000 and. 10 that's happening in a barn somewhere that that can't disappoint it can only be mildly pleasing or better um but no i've i've heard so much and chad can actually talked about this match as well on his desert island comp and it just seems like okay this is the most not condensed because there are other matches that kind of say that okay they have other matches but they're condensed, and of this greatness. Um, I think cage match has it in it around 24 minutes or 23 minutes. But by and large, everything I've ever read, everything I've ever heard, it feels like, okay, it's an extremely tight 23 minutes. It doesn't feel that way, that it feels something closer to a 15, 20-minute match. Where you've got all the bells and whistles you could want. It's got all the action you can want. And it doesn't feel like there's any fluff to kind of consider. And that's just. Feels so refreshing. To always hear about. Because so I'm like. I can watch a major pay-per-view main event. Now. And I'm just not going to get that. That's just not my my real life. Uh, <laughs> when you throw on. Even AEW or WWE. Um. Regardless of what you think of the wrestling quality itself, it's just, that's not what it is. There is more melodramatics at that scale in the biggest matches possible. And um slash, not just melodramatics, because this, this has that to some extent, but feels like it's at cost of the pace, at cost of the flow.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. And it's not like... I guess because we're recording twenty twenty three, um, it's not Cody and Roman, <laughs> you know. It's yeah, not, It's it's not that. It's much more snappy. It's it's not MGF. I mean, I mean, it's unfair to say MGF and Danielson because that was just, that was purposely a sixty minute Ironman match. But um, it's not well for 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 and Steamboat. It's not even their early matches. I know. I. I I might. Somebody might have took shots at me, but I remember posting on PWo after watching their eighty-four match at the Boogie Jam show, and I was bored. Like it literally. Steamboat has Flair. Flair and he's working a headlock for twenty minutes, and um, there's there's an there's art to that. There's art to doing that, but um, for what their reputation preceded them that, that. it, it didn't work, you know. They have their they have their hour long match in Baltimore on a house show, and it's great, um, but it's not it's not this where you get a decisive winner and loser. And there's just elements that they have with with this match. I don't think that they've um, touched upon yet, like ever were able to replicate. That's better better phrasing. Um, they were able to replicate ever again? Um, I just think um, you know, Steamboat just coming, just came in on his game, and he was you know, it's easier to know than when you're when you're going over, you're you're going to be on your <laughs> game, but but with him, it was just he was on a different level, and it's just masterful work by both of them. I mean, Flair Flair is Flair, and you know, Steamboat also, but. Um, yeah, it's just, it's at points, it gets nasty and, and, and at points, and there's some comic relief at times, you know, with flair or whatever, but it, it, it takes you on, on a ride and, um, for what, what modern wrestlers say they want to do, um, th- to me, this is it and they should, they should take this match and not. Not other matches, you know. I know they get told what to do by these producers, whatever. But this is the modern match to 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 look forward to and to 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 hold up in high esteem, um, in my my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, everything about this always feels like okay. Next year, it's on the list. Put it on there. Got to get to it. It's an all timer by all accounts. Uh and I do love kind of just... Everyone that I, I've ever talked to about this match loves it wholeheartedly. Even if it doesn't end up being their favorite Flare versus Steamboat match, it's always like, okay, maybe it's two. Um, it doesn't usually dip just because of the qualities it does possess. Yeah, yeah. Um, J-Mount, would you like to continue here? Do you have anything to do with the or you want to move on to match number three? Uh, We can move on to match number three, yeah. With... Your third match under Design Comp, we have Kazuchika Okada versus Kazuhira Shibata from New Japan's Sakura Genesis Two Thousand Seventeen. Jamal, why this match matchmaker Design and Comp?
1: Uh, to put it bluntly, it's the best match of the Bushi Road era for New Japan, uh, in my opinion. Um, and a lot of it for me. It was back. It was backstory that carried it and it was backstory that they didn't really hint towards to, um, you know, with, with Shibata coming in, um, winning the New Japan Cup and challenging Okada. Um, it was it was a weird road for for Shibata coming back after all the stuff of him leaving the promotion in, what, 2005? And, um, you know, him, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Shitsuke and Nakamura were pegged that's new Three Musketeers, and he didn't do that. He left, went to Big Mouth Loud to be the ace of there. That didn't work out. Um, but it, it, you couldn't really mention that it would for, for New Japan purposes because they don't have the footage. But for me as a fan, you know... Um, you know, in the 2000s, that's when I heavily got into Japanese wrestling, and I always followed Shibata. And you know, throughout Big Mouth Loud, and then freelancing and going to Noah and Tina Kenta. and then his base. You know, it's you know the match with him and Junakiyama at Russell One. Will always I always remember that. You know, <laughs> just the bloodbath that uh, that happened. But and then his field MMA career. You know, I remember watching him on dream MMA shows on HD net and um, do you remember the the fight where he throws the flying drop kick?
0: Yes. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Shit like that. And um with with that and you know to to go through all of that and then to come back finally come back to New Japan because Kidani wanted him and, and Sakuraba back. But he's the one that stuck through and for him to finally reach a point where he was supposed to be like in Okada's position. And to see Okada, you know, with it's funny with Okada. The first time I ever saw Kachiko Okada was um was on a show in 2006, I want to say. He was teaming with Ultimo Dragon in a show in Canada against the Motor City Machine Guns. Um, and I was just... I didn't know who this skinny guy was or whatever. Um, thought he was okay. And then fast forward to... he's their champion and for me I took a a break from the early from the late 2000s to the early 2010s I took a break from wrestling Mm -hmm. so when I picked it back up and started watching New Japan again I'm like wait he's the the champion? (laughs) He's the guy? The skinny guy I remember from from 2006 when i was in college like what the fuck like this guy so it took me a while to accept new japan like i was i was a roshi tanahashi fan um in the 2000s but it took me a while to to accept this new version of new japan i was i was used to the yukes version with simon inoki as the leader of of new japan so with 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 him as the as a champion, you know he's he's being promoted as such. Um, you know, coming in with the Shibata, I was just like, yeah, he should be, he should be, he should go over him. And I wasn't the only one. Sumo hall that that night was rocking, and they desperately wanted Shibata to win. And it was the most raucous crowd I had heard throughout the Bushi Road era, and probably still holds up to this day of what Sumo Hall, what New Japan used to be in Sumo Hall. Um, That crowd was just molten hot for Shibata to win. And the lead up to it, Shibata, you know, in the translation scene, he wanted to make a man out of Okada and all this stuff. It was, um, that match was, it it was magical because I remember watching it, getting up early in the morning. And um, this was when Wrestling Words was still, was, I think, it was towards the end might have been, might have been towards the end, but it might've been dissolved or whatnot. But I remember (laughs) the Slack chat, the Slack chat was still alive, it's still alive, but the Slack chat was well, well alive and well. And, um, a lot of us were up watching it. And I remember, I remember Jamal, real hero, um, rest in peace to him. Um, we were all in for Shibata. We wanted that crowd to explode. And if he won and. um, just the story of the match of him representing this old version of new Japan, you know, he's supposed to be connected to Maeda and, and represent Noki and all this. And then you have Okada who represents Bushiro and Kidani's version of in Gato and their version of new Japan. And just the symbolic, the symbolism of this match, it was just to me, I thought, I thought it was beautiful um to be perfectly honest and just the opening match like um the opening of the match just Shibata out wrestling Okada and every step of the way and um getting Okada pissed and, and the turning and the crowd booing Okada which you didn't really see like Okada was a was a heel was was heel leaning um tweener but not to this extent and um just um, it was masterful just watching this match and um, with Shibata, um, you know you gotta address the elephant in the room of of the headbutts you know and um,
0: yeah this was pre having his brain cut out <laughs> so different yeah. time different time altogether different.
1: and it's you know I I still can't. Like, can we talk a little bit about that? Like the whole story of his brain being cut out?
0: Please, like, please.
1: I respect <laughs> Dave Meltzer. <laughs> I do the tracking for his uh Hall of Fame, you know, for the public ballots. Yep. But that story is complete bullshit. Completely bullshit. And she he should never, ever, 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 ever mention that again. He probably will, but he should never, ever mention that again. The man, if you watch the match, I mean, its if if you have a hard time watching the match because of the outcome, I have no problem with you not watching the match. But if you want to watch the match, afterwards, his arm goes limp, and he collapses backstage. Um, those are signs. I'm not, you know, people are going to say, well, you're jumping to conclusions. i I recently had someone in my personal life, suffer a stroke. Those are signs of a stroke. You know, basically, and you think about, I always think about when Takayama had his stroke after a match. Similar, similar symptoms when, when he had his stroke. You know, to me, I think that's, that's what happened with Shibata. And that's the reason for concern of why you know, I remember with Shibata, he came back with, with his hair, his hair cut short. You know, a lot of times when you have a stroke, if you have bleeding on the brain, they're gonna they're going to cut your hair off and put a tube in it so they could get the bleeding out. You know, to me, it's all signs of it of what happened to Shibata. It points to a stroke. So, um, so to me, <laughs> the whole taking his brain out is complete bullshit. I didn't believe it one bit when I first heard or read about it because it was insane. He'd be dead. We wouldn't be talking about Shibata, and he wouldn't be working Ring of Honor right now. You know, It's just so much bullshit. But. Yeah,
0: Grey's Anatomy has done every fictitious surgery you can potentially do, I think. And I think even they have not done the old take-the-brain-out-the-head <laughs> And put it back in business. So if you can't beat the bar of would Grey's Anatomy do it, it's just not good. You sh- you shouldn't say it.
1: Not happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but Shout back out. to the match.
0: <laughs> Shout out to big Grey's Anatomy fan Quentin.
1: Yeah. I was surprised when he told me he was he was watching Grey's Anatomy. Um, yeah, it kind of took me off guard, but I mean, it's not a it's not a bad show. It's not a bad show. It's not a bad
0: show. A bad show. A bad show. With the match? match. With the but the match. But back
1: to the match. Back to the match. Um, with with this match in particular with Okada, um always thought he was good. Um didn't really buy into the he's the greatest of all time because people were talking about it in real time like oh he's the greatest he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time I'm like slow down like hold on and he never faced Shibata in a match before and it it was you know I'm a, I'm a big boxing fan and it reminded me of whenever boxers young up and coming boxers who are going to be superstars they always find a, a fight that tests them. And pushes them to the limit. And this was metaphorically that for Okada. And um, just the image of... Because he was putting everyone down with the Rainmaker. And for him to hit the Rainmaker on Shibata. And Shibata doesn't even budge. I thought it was one of the best spots. Because you built up several years of putting people down with this Rainmaker. And he doesn't budge. It was just like, oh shit, he has to win this. And just just for, for from from that step on, the match just goes on a different level. And it just um, unfortunately with the with the headbutt and everything. And then um, Okada puts him down for the one two three and retains. Um, deflates Sumo Hall, but at the same time, um, it's still one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. It still holds up to this day. I'm not, um, I'm not going go as far as to say it was, it was poetry. Um, but <laughs> in, in other ways, you can. I mean, this was, this was what sh- this was Shibata's at the time. It would have been a perfect way for him to end his career because it's, it's his best match. Um, you know, look, thank God now he's finally extended his, his career and doing great things in Ring of Honor. Um, but for him to represent a certain time, a certain period where the fans were just, and the fans knew it too, the fans of Japan knew it too, that um, he represented a certain time in, for, in the old New Japan um, that didn't really buy into this new version of New Japan and brought what, what was familiar to them back in a, in, in a way that it hasn't been replicated ever again. I mean, Okada's gone on to have a great career, and um, you know him and Naito, and they've gotten insanely popular, but um, I don't think that, that, that Bushiro could ever capture that moment a genuine moment of when Shibata was on the precipice of probably being the biggest star in the company. And um, that match just put it over the top. It's just, he's to me, he's all time legend. Some people might think, think not, but to me, Shibata is.
0: Yeah. I, I, I will not fight you on that one, one bit. I think it is very odd for his career to have been extended via ring of honor, but also makes sense in some ways where the things that I'm so over here and in this run with new Japan a lot of also taking the beating that he's dishing as well as dishing it out. And in a smaller American promotion where he can just be kind of a star uh, for that promotion. He does, He just gets to do like the one half of that equation or Sort of the better Minoru Suzuki kind of performance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where he's, he's, he does not have to take the hits. He can just dish them out and everyone's going to be totally happy with that outcome. Um, not exactly the case during this match, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, like, could very well be still the swan song for his New Japan chapter of his career. That may never kind of come back in full force again. Is that, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fair to say. Um, unless Noah somehow brings him in, which I wouldn't put past him, um, yeah, I don't think he'll ever come back working actively in Japan again, specifically, specifically New Japan, yeah.
0: we we'll always have this one. Always have yeah. this one. Yeah. All right, moving on. To match number four, it is the Dragon Gate Six-Man from ROH's Supercard of Honor, Shima and Sato Yoshino, and Rookie Doi versus Dragon Kid, Genki Horiguchi, and Ryu Saito. JML, why this match? Make your Desert on comp.
1: Um, it kind of wanted the various styles, in a way. Um, You know, the old Michinoka Pro tag is from ECW, Barry Legal, you know, people kind of cite that as their gateway into the, the quote-unquote Lucha resu style of the Lucha Libre influence in Japanese wrestling. Um, with Dragon Gate, you know, I had seen Shima before, but this just blew my mind. And I know Dragon Gate Hardcores think the Kobe World um, match in 2005, and I think Don Fuji is in that in their place in place of Yoshino, I believe. I think that's better, but I think the addition of Yoshino just adds to how much it blew my mind because Yoshino—and I'm not the biggest—it's funny because I haven't become the biggest fan of his, but at the time, I would, I'd never seen a wrestler move so fast between those ropes, and— it was just mind-blowing stuff, and um, just the way these six guys um, moved throughout the match, um, I think it was just a special time because it was a weekend, and um, it's it's it kind of birthed, you know, the Supercarn of Honor, what the legacy of Supercarna of Honor is today um, with the Ring of Honor, and... Um, just, I'll, I'll never, I'll, I'll, never forget watching this and have my jaw just be on the floor, you know, just watching this, um, you know, with Dragon Kid and, and um, you know, Genki Origuchi and, and Saito and, um, yeah, it's just if you've never, never seen it, go watch it. It's just mind blowing stuff. If you're, if you're into the Lucha Rescue style, um, it was just something on just kind of like, just to add to the mixtape or just to get your, if, if I was able to, to watch this, get my blood boiling like again and get my blood pumping and <laughs> it just, it's, it's a, it's a jolt. It's like watching, uh, watching, I don't know, an insane action movie. It was just, it's nonstop. It's, it's. At points, it's dumb, but it's just so much fun to watch. And um, I had to have this on this list.
0: Yeah, it was one of those matches that was state-of-the-art at the time, but also just continues to still hold up as a rad match, which is not the case for all of these types of matches around this time. But Dragon Gate, for for some reason, is always seems to kind of hold up in that regard. Uh, better than most. Better than most, that's for sure. I think is also one of those matches that like, guaranteed U.S. bookings for a pretty much an entire promotion for the next decade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is very funny, very funny. But I, I did want to ask, so when going through the copy, talking about it being kind of a mixtape, also wanted to kind of see, is there a specific, there is a specific flow to what you're going for, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, because... The matches I m- mentioned before, like with Kenson Low Key, it's, it's hard hitting. It just hits you right right there if you yeah. pop in this tape. And then Steamboat, it takes you back a little bit, but it jolts you up even more. Um, and then Okada and Shibata, um, it's the, the epic long match. I mean, you can make your jokes about Okada with 40-minute matches, but this is the best Okada best Okada. Match and it gives you all the drama and all of the, um, if you want the drama and the mellow, the melodrama of of wrestling and the 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 heat, the, the um, I don't want to see the heat, but the the hatred. If you want the hatred, because it comes through in that match um, with with Kata and, and Shibata, and you want Mano mono Mano. Um, you get that, and then with this match, it just jolts you right up, <laughs> and it's just you don't have to think watching this match, um, in a in a in a better sense.
0: Yeah, and people saying that the Okada a match poetry, poetic things like that, but in a more you know maybe grounded phrasing, it is. An epic match it is that kind of match that has a lot more going on It had a lot more just emotion behind it this is not that match so while i would say this maybe isn't a downbeat in it it isn't gonna like no, calm you down um and i'm not sure you can go like too much higher than you are it's not an emotional high it's just an adrenaline high now which is a, a nice pace a nice pace
1: yeah, like if Shibata Okada was like a, a a ballad, this is your dance your dance song. You know, this that's what it would be like.
0: All right, is there anything more you'd like to add to the Supercard of Honor during a Six Man?
1: Go watch it if you've never seen it before. <laughs> that's all I gotta say.
0: All right, all right, all right. Moving on to our next matchup, JML. We have from AJW, St. Pal Final from 1993. It is Akira Hokuto versus Shinobi Kandori 2. Why does this match make your desert and count?
1: Because Akira um, Hokuto and Shinobi Kandori, the match from Dream Slam 93 will always be embedded in my brain just the match in terms of how much they hated each other going into it, the buildup of it. Um, from the opening, Hokuto just punches her straight and straight in the face and knocks her out cold. And then it's on the table spots and all the other stuff. I keep it's, it's a match that I will never forget. However, this match, it brings much more melodrama, much more hatred, much more visceralness That I think, even though the first match has lots more blood, this was more, it hits you more in the gut, um, and it's been lost among people who have seen the first match, and it's not just here in the United States, I mean, in Japan, too, like... Um, I've seen the Japanese press with the resurgence of Joshi Wrestling in Japan, i.e. stardom. You know, they've praised the Hokuto-Kandori match. It's a legendary match, and they've, they've wanted to compare um, whenever a big hate, hate-filled match is being promoted, they always compare that. But it's like, this match here at Sumo Hall, this was the main event at Sumo Hall, this is the better match. Um, (laughs) in my opinion, this is the better match and it hits you more and it's more, much more dramatic. And it, it, I think when people wax poetry about the first match, it all applies to this match and some, because it marks the, if you know the storyline, it marks what we thought at the time, the end of, of Hikaru Hokuto, as you know it. Um, and for people who haven't watched the match, um, they have the rematch. It will, let's fast f- Let's rewind to the Dream Slam match. In the Dream Slam match, they face off in a, in a tag match a week later. Kandori gets the better of her. And then you take that. Hokuto is, throughout the year, still re- feuding with LLPW, the promotion that Shinobu, Shinobu Kandori came from. Um, had a hair versus hair match with Rumi Kazama, Kazama took our hair and the death sets up the the rematch here at sumo hall and rightfully so it's being the main event, you know, in dream slam at Yokohama arena, it was the semi main event. This match is the main event and just the work in this match. It's just as good. Um, just as much hatred, um, you know, Kandori busts Hokuto Hardway in the mouth. She's bleeding, she's bleeding throughout her mouth. Um, and there's much, it's much more, it's not as frenetic um, as the first match. And there's much more deliberate work with Kandori throughout the match. And then you come to the final stages of it and Kandori is just throwing these punches to her and these uppercuts. And Hokuto is getting basically knocked out and slumped to the ground. And then the camera pans over to the aisleway where, you know, Hokira Hokuto has this group called El Los Coracha. Oh, I can't pronounce the, the, the Spanish name. Um, or Los Core- Corechas Orientales. I think that's I think that's Nailed the it. <laughs> I think that's the pronunciation but if if it's not um just holler at me but you have um Etsuko Mita and Mima Shimoda. her stablemates, are boo-hooing crying screaming to the top of their lungs that their leader is getting fucked up <laughs> and not just them the rest of the All Japan Women's roster, Aja Kong is boohooing. hooing um, Other members of the roster are just bawling their eyes out because Akira Hokuto came in as the one to defend All Japan Women against this other promotion and against Shinobu Kandori who it's it's funny because her ties trying to invade All Japan Women ties go even goes back even further from um, even late, it wasn't 93, even, even 92 with dream rush, where she makes the appearance in, in the front row where all the LAPW wants to rush, the, rush the ring. It dates back all the way back to, eight, to the eighties when she wanted to challenge Chikusa Nagayo. And after she left, um, JWP, um, you know, Hokuto was built up as the leader as, as what AJW was, and she's just getting demolished. By kandori and this match kind of teach it, it brings you down in a way and it teaches that not every match has to be a happy ending and it doesn't have to be for heat either i think a lot of wrestling promotions i wwe do sad endings for heat but this wasn't it for heat this was purposeful to mark the ending of a because soon after she goes on her, basically her, her retirement run for the, for the next year, um, in 94. But to me, this, this match teaches you, if you were ever to watch this match, it teaches you that there can be sad endings and it could be tragic endings, but not in a brutal tragic way, but, um, in a in a satisfying way, like this is the end and you can't conquer everyone. And to me this match it exemplifies that.
0: Yeah, in a lot of matches, especially that are of this magnitude, it feels like, oh, if the good good guy loses, that's not the end of a chapter. That's just or that that might be the end of the chapter, not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. so we got to keep everything going until we get that happy ending. But I do like how you kind of explained, Hey, like sometimes things can come to an end and not have to feel like, Oh, we need to extend this to have that uh, smiles and faces. So that's very, very interesting. I'm glad you kind of broke down why you chose this match over the first match. Since I was kind of see those compared and uh, frankly, the, a lot of folks that are in our circle kind of give the same sort of feedback that you do, like "oh, this is just a better match." Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, kind of more broadly, I don't know if that is the general consensus uh, by and large. Well, that's I,
1: I guess in our circle, maybe yeah, maybe it's the general consensus about like the, the the story in the match. Maybe I don't know if that's the consensus what other people interpret it as, but that's that's why I feel about it. That's that's how I
0: feel yeah yeah uh all right cool i think uh and where do we feel like okay story-wise we're here we came off the adrenaline rush of the sixth man all right now it's time to have more of an emotional beat again this one being sort of it's not i don't know if we define it as a downer but it is not a cheerful one it's not smiles and faces right is that kind of the goal here is kind of okay we need to kind of set the tone for for what's to come
1: yeah yeah that's that's what it feels to me that's what it, it brings you down it brings purposely <laughs> brings you down Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> all right well then let's get moving on to our six matchup here on your six match for desert iron comp it is from NXT Takeover Brooklyn. Sasha Banks versus Bailey. JML, why did you choose this match for Desertland Comp?
1: Um, just continuing with this theme, it picks you back up. Um, but also, it's probably, in my opinion, the best uh, women's match WWE has ever produced. Um, this was it was such refreshing to see. Um, women, um, finally shine through in a meaningful match. Um, I know the WWE kind of frames it as you know, Trish and Lita, they were such pioneers, and everyone, everyone, their mother's a pioneer, but um, this one is actually a pioneering match, um, and a step forward for the women, um, in WWE, and it was for them to let it all hang out, um, but also tell, you know, do what they do best and quote unquote tell stories. But it was actually a, actually a good wrestling match coming into this match. You know, Sasha Banks was um, one of the hottest acts in wrestling. Um, And being, you haven't seen a heel champion like this in a, an entertaining heel champion like this for women in a long, long time. And, Um, Bailey was marketed as the ultimate underdog and people thought she was going to be next John Cena or whatever, but, um, and you could wax poetic about this, you know, her Bailey coming in as the fan favorite and then Sasha Banks rolls up in the Mercedes, or not Mercedes, that's her real name, but in the Escalade in Brooklyn, you know, um, with the bodyguards or whatever, and coming in looking like a million bucks. Um, fantastic work, you know, camera work overall. And they have a, a really fucking good match. Um, Sasha just is brutal at times. You know, Bailey comes in with the injured hand, and she works over the hand, and it, 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 I was. it's funny because... This date, 822 2015, is the same date as um, in 1985. All Japan Women puts on a show in Budokan Hall, and the main event is Lioness Asuka versus. A Jaguar coda. absolute barn murder of a match. The other match is the other half of the Crush Gals, um, Chikus and the guy over Stella Masami, and it was that match was been lost over time until probably the late two two thousands two thousand tens, where we finally got to see that um, in full and. I guess in our circle, and and also like in PWO and DVDVR, that match has overtaken that the other match um, as probably the best match on the show, and um, it's held as one of the go- the gold standard of the best women's match of the '80s and one of the best matches of the '80s period. And I find it ironic that because that match was the semi-main event of that show. You fast forward all the way to 2015, on the same exact date, <laughs> you have Sasha and Bailey as the semi-main event, as basically the juggernaut for what was come what was to come for for their women's wrestlers in WWE, and symbolically, that's to me that's that's kind of what it hits to me, and. But also, these are two of the best women that um, America has produced. And, you know, Sasha being, you know, Sasha, Mercedes, her name, Mercedes Fernando, I think is the best women's wrestler in American history. And she gets to show it here. And it's just a fantastic match. Um, it does end with a happy ending as Bayley conquers her beats her with the insane poison Ron off the top rope. Um, but yeah, like to me, this, this match, it, it, it takes me back because, um, with NXT, it, I was, I was following it, um, late 2014 into 2015. Um, and I loved what NXT was at the time and um, this match encapsulates encap, encapsulates it all, and I'll never forget that feeling. And it o- this match always brings it back to me.
0: So I may have missed, it, and I apologize for that. Uh, why would you choose this as the Sasha Banks versus Bailey match? Why this match would be the,
1: the match yes. to choose? Yeah, it's the best match. Okay. to me, it's the best match. Um, okay. The Iron Man match is is great too. Um, but it doesn't hit the same as this one. This was just a special time and a special moment at the time. And, um, you know, even though the Iron Man match was great, um, still there's some, it was just something that I, I, I can't explain. It. It's just something that it, 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 was, it was so special to watch that match unfold. Um, yeah, I in get 2000- in, in August 2015,
0: I absolutely get it. And think this is as far as like, also like stylistically in your kind of matchups, we have sort of transplant Japanese junior match, epic US NWA title match, epic new Japan match, Dragon Gate, six man Lucha uh, big epic story driven match um, from Japan still. And we kind of go back to the U S so we're going kind to of have off in between regions here. Um, so that's always kind of interesting, kind of see where we land, but also getting something that you have more of a time and place with your fandom and isn't as retroactive with maybe some of the other stuff, um, that we've talked about so far. That's always, I think very, very fun to see kind of where everyone was during kind of, <laughs> kind of their viewing here. Mm hmm. Is there anything else kind of I want to talk about here with Sasha Banks versus Bailey? It's obviously kind of one of the, I would say almost, frankly, one of the most important matches that have happened in the, the aughts uh, or in the 2010s.
1: I would say the control segments throughout this match are fantastic. Um, Sasha, when she gets to work as a nasty heel, she's phenomenal. Um, you know, working that hand, you know, pinning up against the, the stairs, um, taking control of of the match in terms of, um, which when they have that sequence where Bailey has her in the crossface of in um, flips over, um, but also when Sasha has her in the bank statement and Bailey's stretching out, stretching out, and then all of a sudden that. Sasha just stomps on her hand over and over and over again. Um, just amazing stuff and amazing work um, throughout the match. Just the control segments. Anyway, but the
0: match in general is just amazing. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a real match. Like I don't think there's anyone that... I've never seen anyone talk bad about this match. I'm sure they're out there, but by and large, I think it's one of the most... Well regarded matches from not just this period but throughout the entire decade. All right, moving on to match number seven in Desert and Comp is Kaz Hayashi versus Sh- Sh- Shuji Kondo um, from All Japan Pro Wrestling. Love in Ryu Goku uh, from 2006. JML, I'm gonna be honest with you, did not expect this matchup on Desert and Comp. Why did it make the list?
1: Um, it's always been a personal favorite of mine.
0: Um, all
1: Japan, I know All Japan usually gets the reputation of the '90s with Kobashi and misawa and all that stuff, but this era of All Japan, when Mudo is is heading it, it's some fun. It's fun ass shit. <laughs> and um, I remember just Voodoo Murderers, you know, being in the in that. You know, in the promotion and ROZ with you know Taka and you know Rosie Jamal and um, Delo Brown and a bunch of, a bunch of guys from Bull Buchanan was in All Japan like it was just a bunch of bunch of characters from from different places coming into this promotion. But um, yeah, this era of All Japan is just fun and I think it's underappreciated. I think if people went back and watched some of these shows, they get a real under understanding of where I'm coming from. And um this match kinda encapsulates it. Um Kondo coming in at the time was the junior heavyweight champion and he had like a year long reign and um former Dragon Gate guy or Toriumon guy. Um so this match with Kazayashi who was former Michinoku pro guy um they would be able to mesh really well just with the lucha style. But also um, at the time, you know, junior wrestling, it was kind of, it was, it was in a weird way because um, juniors weren't evenly distributed throughout the Japanese scene. Um, I remember Noah had a lot of good juniors. Um, You know, New Japan always had good juniors, but not in all Japan. And, um, for Kazayashi and Shujikando to go out there and have this this fun-ass match, I know some people who've watched this, they'll think um, the leg selling is not great um, <laughs> with with Shujikando, um, not with with Kazayashi, but um, it always reminds me how much of a fan I forgot I was of Kazayashi. I always loved his work, and... Um, he was always sudden, not just quick, but sudden. And then Sugi Kano, the prototypical power junior, um, that came in, that came into um, the wrestling scene. Um, just a fun ass match, and um, again, not the expected ending as Sugi Kano beats Kazayashi. <laughs> so um, that's that's the thing about it. It's like. It, with me, I, I don't have to have a guy, like, you know, the classic babyface wins all the time. You know, you could have great matches and great and great stories with the heel winning, and this, this, that's what happened. And Shuji Kondo was so damn great. Um, I don't know if you'll watch this because there is a sort of a form of a Canadian destroyer in this from the Come top. Come
0: on, of- <laughs> we're so close. <laughs>
1: So I don't I don't know if Sam if this will be your cup of tea, but um, this match fucking rocks
0: in yeah, my I, opinion. I might give this one a go. Of yes, I am more mo, most likely to get to this match first of the <laughs> matches at Design Comp, not Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, but Hayashi versus Kondo. I think they're just like two of the most underrated junior heavyweight Japan ever. I don't know. I, I just feel especially during this period, at the very least, at least the. 2000s onward Um, like Hayashi's always been good I I don't know if there's been a time where he's been truly bad ever
1: no no not at all Um, I know he's a coach at Gleet and he still wrestles but um, yeah he's always been good always 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 been good even even his time in WCW (laughs) that's that's (laughs) when I first saw him so in WCW but yeah, he's always been fucking phenomenal.
0: Um, I think it's the Raven yeah. match that kicks so much ass from WCW.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> but yeah, and like it feels like Ultra in this period of time had gems. They had some gems, um, but they weren't Noah. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Or frankly, they're not even, they're not Dragon Gate either. So it's like, okay, who's only the real freaks are watching this, evaluating it prioritizing it and i
1: was one and i was one of them (laughs) bless you
0: bless you
1: but this is one of the gems and it's one of the um you know dave ditch wherever he is um god bless him but um this was one of i remember this being on the list i was when he was doing the best of the 2000s uh do you remember that project or i don't
0: i don't think so i think that was before my time
1: Really, Sam? you f- its weird, Sam. I feel like you're older than. <laughs> I always think you're o- you're
0: older than what you are, but then I realize no. <laughs> I mean, I'm fi- I'm not a young young whippersnapper like we got nowadays, but oh yeah, yeah. I feel like I was not in the places other people were until very late, and then I just curled up into a ball and embedded myself there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because um, with Dave Ditch, um, he used to write a, a, a weekly column in Inside Pulse. I think that was the the website on Japanese wrestling, and I kept, and I kept up with that. And I remember Zach Arnold with Puru Power. Like there was a lot of a lot of pyro sites like going on, like around the time and. Um, now everybody just looks on Twitter and see what matches gets announced and goes, gets excited. But, um, yeah, like I remember reading match results and waiting waiting a month for for the DVD to come in with the tape, you know? <laughs> Wild times. But
0: yeah, yeah, when there was just blogs that were dedicated to, frankly, just the news results for a single Japanese wrestling promotion. Yeah. Those were the times. Those were the times. Uh all right. I have nothing more to add to this matchup. Anything you kinda of wanted to go into here as far as like the context, but it feels like, okay, this is all oh, right, we need the the my guys sort of matchup. The matchup's like, okay, I gotta get something that just speaks to me and me alone on this one. And I don't mean you and you alone, I mean hey, this is more, just kind of special to me and just like more out there in the traditional sense. Yeah, yeah. This is mine. This is all mine. <laughs> this is all yours. This is all mine. All right. Next up, Math and Rate. It is La Sombra versus Atlantis from CMLL's 8 Second Anniversario. JML, why didn't you make the list?
1: Um... It's funny because um, I remember seeing the Ultimo Guerrero Atlantis match from the year before and thinking it was good but not great and just kind of not getting the hype. Um, I was just like, no, that's okay. Um, And then I I made a decision. I was like, all right, I'm going to dedicate myself to watching CMLL. And keeping up with it. And luckily, at the time, CMLL was putting stuff on YouTube. Like, before you had to, like, find, you know, go to Luchabog, whatever. But they started live streaming their stuff. And on YouTube and other other sites, too. And I just got immediately hooked to the Los Singobanales storyline of, of Sombra and Rouge and th- those guys um, just torturing Atlantis for weeks and weeks on end um, during the summer of 2015. And uh, it's, it did it so much that I was like, all right, what's the end goal of this? And then they announced the Sombra versus Atlantis for the Anniversario show. And I'm like... Oh wow, like back to back years that Atlantis is going to put up his mask. And um what I did not I th- I was coming into it thinking this was going to be the coronation of La Sombra. Little did I know <laughs> that this match would take me on a wild ride and prove that Atlantis still motherfucking has it and still is one of the best luchadors of all time and kind of birthed uh, Andrade Onidolo, you know, um, and, you know, put the end to La Sombra, and, you know, he, at the time he was, what, 25 or something like that? He was like the big, he was supposed to be the, the the face of CMLL, like the one of the new stars, him and Volador, or whatever. Holy shit. <laughs> that was not it. And, um, it was just, and I think, you know, um, the year before with Elantisi um, and Ultimo Guerrero with the, the Maestro work, it's, it's be commended. And it was it was great for the old school Lucha fans. But me coming to it, being a newer Lucha fan, I mean, I'd watch. It's funny I, with Lucha, I would watch Lucha. Um, this would be I'll take you back to I'll take you even back to when I was a kid. Um, in terms of my wrestling fandom, a perfect Saturday, Saturday would be I'd watch WCW Saturday morning. Um, I forgot what time it would come on, maybe 10 a.m. or something like that. i watch WWF Superstars at either 12 or 1, 1 o'clock p.m. on Fox 5 here in New York. Um, Way a little bit later, 6.05 for WCW Saturday night, and then during Saturday night when it was dead periods, I'd watch, um, I think it would be Galavision, and it would be Lucha Libre. And at the time, they had it split between CMLL or EMLL and AAA. So one hour, you get you would get both. So I, that's how I <laughs> – there would be a perfect Saturday night for a young GML. Just watch – Yes, a – Six- or seven-year-old kid just watching that, that shit, you know, just perfect for me. I would, I would stay in front of a TV all day. Um, so with Lucha, I was always used to it, but with this, this was more my Lucha in terms of Sombra being the fast young guy, but also... Um, modern times him just being a dick. He was being a dick throughout, throughout this match, um, to start it off. And, you know, Roosh gets involved and he gets sort of kicked out. And then, you know, the sec, the second fall, you know, Lance's gets his, and then the fir- third fall happens. And it's some of the best shit, um, CMLL has produced. And it's one of the, one of the best, um, mass matches they've had, Probably in the last ten years, I can't think of any other than other than the Ultimo Guerrero, old, the, ult, the Ultimo Guerrero, um, Atlantis match from the year before. I can't think of anything else um, in terms of high stakes in that in their anniversario Show. That high stakes, that high drama towards the end, and for Atlantis to win, it was just God damn! That was it was just amazing to watch. It just transfixed me back into what I loved about pro wrestling, and um, I was surprised that this old man was able to do it, but he did
0: it. It is such a delicate line to straddle when you have someone that is admittedly getting older. It, not just getting older, just flat-out old Atlantis. He is lost steps. He is a legend, and this seemed like while you're saying this was the match to cement La Sambra as one of the faces of this company for years to come, it was also the match to take Atlantis out to pasture and essentially say, okay, thanks for all you've done, but you're going to go the way of Blue Panther and have some just fun matches with your mask off and just be in for the rest of your days. Your son's going to be coming through. You guys can link up. It'll be great. It'll be great. And while part of that still ends up kind of happening to some degree, this is not that match. That is not the story of the match. Even if the results later on end up being similar and Lissabra doesn't get coronated, he moves on with his his life, his career, and his career has been been interesting since then. I'm not sure. I would say it's good or bad, but it's been interesting, and it stems kind of from this.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's so weird to see, <laughs> um, you know, because I he was coming off like the year before. It was either the year before or two years before. He was like IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Like he was a push guy. Like. <laughs> Like he was being taken seriously, like throughout the rest of the world. And um, yeah, it was so, so weird. But, um, but inside the match, um, LaSambra works his ass off. Um, just bumping, doing whatever he has to do for Atlantis to, 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 to be, to be the legend, you know. Um, but all, you know, taking these crazy bumps, but also. Um, when he gets control, he's doing, doing mind blowing shit. Like the, I remember freaking out when he does the tornado to the outside, um, onto Atlantis. I was just like, what? Like, just, it's just mind blowing shit because he wasn't doing this during the summer. He was just, just beating on him the whole time. Um, and shows, Sombra shows his ass and stuff like that. But, um, but for Atlantis to to basically to to get the victory, it was it was it was kind of amazing to watch. But also the post match, you know, um, it's I, I do like seeing that male bonding of him and and Rouge together, um, basically signifying, you know, it's you know look back on hindsight. Um, you know, it's it's Farewell, My Brother, basically, and um, you know, Roush offers to to take off the mask, and he he holds he, he he stops him, and then he gets his dad to do it, and I just thought it was it was great because now looking back on hindsight, his dad passed away too, yeah. so um, I believe his his dad passed away. Um, I know his mom passed away for sure. I don't want to be killing folks off, (laughs) but I know his mom killed. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ! People are dead. I know. I people are dead. Yes, people are dead. But I know his mom passed away. Um, His dad might be still alive. I don't know. But um, I thought it was just kind of heartwarming that um, this asshole still had family and friends, and and there was a, a fan that flew from Japan that. Was crying her eyes out because her favorite wrestler was losing his mask and stuff. So, um, yeah, like, this match fucking rocks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is kind of uh, the, the the Lucha match on the set here. Uh, there we go. There's not a better representation. I think it definitely kind of aligns with your, your ethos and methodology around some of these matches that you've chosen for this compilation. Yeah. All right. Next up is match number nine. I am going to be a coward. <laughs> and I am going to ask you to read out match number nine here. Okay.
1: So from All Japan Women, from, 2001, from February 28, 2001, it's an elimination match. Um, between Kaoru Ito, Tomoko Watanabe, Momo Nakanishi, Nanai Takahashi versus Manami Toyota, Etsuko Mita, Mimi Shimoda, and Kim- Kimiko Mikawa. So, and why I picked this match? It's batshit insane. <laughs> um, just this four-on-four four elimination match is just batshit insane. Um, it also comes in the time of the Athena years in All Japan Women. Um, some some people have said that these years sucked. I don't believe so. I think the Athena years, and when I mentioned Athena, it is the um, television station that they were shifted to. Um, they It was a cable station branched off from Fuji TV, their original... Um, original TV station. They had network TV on network television on a weekly basis on Fuji TV. Um, However, they branched off at a two-hour show on cable, and it was for their women's sports um, channel called Athena. And All Japan Women would, if you wanted to see the matches in full, um, there was a good time in the in the nineties, the only way you could watch the matches in full if you have the buy by the actual commercial tapes. Now in the two thousands, um, you have to watch you would you would be able to watch the T V show and you're able to get the matches in full. And so with this match you watch in full and it is batshit insane because um you know the team of Ito, uh, Tomoko, Momo and and Ani, their baby faces, and Manami Toyoda briefly turned heel at that point, um, with Mita and, and Shimoto of LCO, and Maikawa. Maekawa was uh, was a baby face, but then turned heel too. Um, so you have this build up of this four on four match, and again, it's batshit insane. <laughs> it's batshit insane. An elimination match. The moment they start, they go out and they are brawling like it's nineteen ninety eight ECW. They're fighting all over the arena. Um, Minami Toyota pour, pours; I've, she, she pours uh, a drink on someone and, and beats them with a chair, and and people are getting busted open. And it's just if you've never seen this match, go watch it. It's bad shit, insane. Um, just the elimination match and. I think if you put this on American TV, whether it was 2001 or 2021 on AEW TV, whenever you put this match on, if they walked in through a time machine, people would be have their floor drop, They have their mouse on the floor. Like, this match is fucking highly entertaining, insane, um, something you could turn your brain off, but also um, just the fact that, I wanted to differentiate. There's so many All Japan women's matches that I could could have picked, but this was a personal favorite of mine. Um, go watch it if you've never seen it.
0: How long is this matchup?
1: Uh good question. Uh, let me look that up.
0: A lot of folks to get eliminated. A lot of folks A lot of, to...
1: A lot of folks to get eliminated. But the eliminations
0: come Yeah pretty quickly. Go quick given like your description of it being this kind of batshit match. I would figure that, hey, there's going to be a lot of moving parts and they're moving in and out pretty quick. I think, again, we're kind of moving towards an antithesis of the last match and kind of, again, give it some ebbs and flows here and kind of, okay, there's an emotional high to the Atlantis match. And while there's maybe some emotional highs here, it's in a, it seems like a more visceral way.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's It is... Absolutely. Oh, well, you won't like this. It's 30 minutes, 27 seconds.
0: You know what? I'm fine with that for <laughs> like when it's got six plus people in it. You can beat that long. Okay. I like, could. The big thing with me with with longer matches, okay, I need the, the situation to change throughout. I need there to be a constant kind of struggle of, OK, the dynamic of this match has been altered. It feels fresh. It feels like new. It feels like okay. I've entered a new match essentially in my brain. Mm -hmm. I can work with that. No, that sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, and the thing about this, when you watch this, it kind of catches you off guard because when people get eliminated, they don't necessarily go out. They still, you know, reinsert themselves in um, in certain ways. I mean, they can't get involved in the pin or whatever, but they make their way in back into the match and it's, that's why it's so batshit insane to watch it. Um, just in, in some of the stuff that, um, Momo Nakanishi does, um, you know, taking some of the sickest chair shots to the head. Um, if you're squeamish about that, do not watch this match, <laughs> but, um, just taking sick chairs shots to the head, but also doing these insane high speed spots. Um, and yeah, and, it, and it, the match serves a purpose because after this, because leading up to this, Kawa Ito is the red belt champion, the 3WA champion, and she just she just took it off of Monami Toyota. and they have they're having a back and forth feud. LCO had a feud with Nakanishi and the Nai Takahashi,s Watanabe. Um, was former tag partners with Mayakawa. Mayakawa turned on her. Like, it's very, it makes so much sense. If you go back and watch the TV leading up to it, it emerges it, it perfectly well together how everyone has their own relationships going on, interpersonal beefs and feuds, but also it's just fucking insane <laughs> the match involved. So, yeah. That's why I
0: love this match. That sounds like quite the ultimate uh, matchup here to round out your desert on a comp. Are you ready to get into match number 10?
1: Yeah, I'm with it.
0: The last match on your desert on comp, it is from Noah's Autumn Navigation 2006, Kenta versus Nomari Marafuji. JML, why did this match make the run Comp?
1: So, I'll never forget it, watching this match. Um, I was so into, at the time, it was freshman year of college. I was so into Marufuji. Um, because, like, the match with Tauwe, like, I wasn't the biggest Marufuji fan, but the match with Tauwe got me hooked. <laughs> Um, because I remember watching him have the match with Kenta in January of that year and thinking, Oh, he's he's cool. Um, but he wasn't Kenta. And then fast forward to March and of that year, and he has the match with Tawei. And I was like, Holy shit. Um part of it's Tawei is fucking amazing. Um and then he has the match with Kenta Kabashi, which is awesome, and then it, it leads to him beating Chu Nakayama for the GHC Championship, which was mind-blowing in itself because he was a former junior. He was just a junior in, in January, and now he's the heavyweight champion. And he lost a junior match against Kenta in January. And now Kenta's coming back saying, hey, I beat this guy earlier this year for the junior title. I could beat him now. And I remember the build-up to this. I was so hyped for this match. Freshman year of college, I remember <laughs> downloading this match, um, watching it in my school library and just <laughs> ducked in a corner somewhere because I didn't want people to look over and see him watching wrestling. But um, this was so it was so fucking awesome to watch. Um, man, it was so visceral, so brutal. Um, but it, it, it because it it in a way it co- started, it was trying to copy some of the big old Japan um, matches of the nineties but also um, the matches of Misawa and, and Kobashi of the two thousand of the early two thousands. Um, especially the Misawa Kobashi match where Misawa, you know, does the Tiger suplex off the ramp. You have a, a similar a similar spot here where Kenta is trying to German suplex Marafuji off the ramp and Marafuji Marifu, flips out. And then we have the insane, um, you have the insane Falcon arrow from the, from the apron to the floor earlier way early in the match, Marafuji almost kills himself doing a quebrada into the front row, trying to get Kenta bust Kenta's head wide open and Marafuji catches his neck on the guardrail. Um, but, but this match, it was it, it was, it was insane, but also it's a, it's a monumental match because it lays the groundwork for what we have today in terms of, um, ushering a, a new style for Japanese wrestling, not a new style, but the modern way Japanese wrestling is today. Whereas you don't have to be the biggest, you don't have to be as big as Kobashi or Taui or Tenru to be heavyweight champion. And it just gives a flashy, more entertaining style that I've enjoyed. I sometimes the older I get, I wish I had, um, more of a, more of, uh, the 10 style matches or the, or the Towaway matches with Kabashi and Kawada, or I don't know, which, which more, which I saw, I wish I saw more stuff of Inoki. um, you know, at times I sl- I've gotten sick of it, but this match I don't get sick of it at all. Um, it's not the most per it's not the first perfect match in the world. There's there's fuck ups throughout this match, but um, I fr- I always forgive it because it was such a was such an amazing match at the time when I saw it, and luckily when I got my hands because at the time it was in four by three, um. Recently, I've gotten a copy that by 16x9 HD, and it's just fucking... It still holds up. It's fucking awesome. So, um, if you've never seen that match, go watch it. Um, Sam, have you ever seen this match?
0: I have not seen this match. Really? Huh. I'm so sorry. I've let you down.
1: No, no, no. Um, It's funny because um, with the Slack, we have, you know, Simon... You know, um, he writes reviews. And a lot of times we don't agree. Um, I know a lot of people love his stuff, but we don't agree on certain things in terms of wrestling. But this one of the few matches where we think, like, this fucking rocks. Like, <laughs> we, bo- we both love this match. Um, so, like, to me, this is... I know some people hate this match. Like, I've seen people just tear it to shreds, like, get this off my screen. Um, but... <laughs> I fucking love this. I will. I will never stop loving this. This will always be better in my brain. Um, I mean, they tried to recreate the the magic of it over and over again. With, um, I remember the 2008 match. They tried to do do that match, and unfortunately, they tried. To, they did a 60 minute time limit <laughs> um, because Kent had the GHC title and Marufuji had the All Japan Junior Heavyweight Championship. Um, They tried to recreate it. Most recent time was in Sumo Hall when they faced off and Kento was Ideo Itami, you know, from WWE. But now this match is still that's it's their best. And I fucking love this. It's flaws and all. I fucking love this match.
0: Yeah, it seems like uh, sort of the perfect crescendo to the set here the compilation it feels like okay we start uh, we end where we started kenta mm-hmm. and this is kind of seems like the definitive match between yeah. his greatest rival the person he's most associated with and bringing up kind of the big like Masawa kobashi match okay they did the similar spots in certain situations but also the situation where those are legends that could rely on being legends that's part of the overall package of that match where like okay this is us etching our mark in wrestling and that's just that that is there's something to love about that it doesn't feel like you get to see that every day where okay it isn't just a great match they're putting their stamp on it they're like okay this is important for us this is important this is important for me as an individual wrestler this is important for our rivalry and our history. This is important for our promotion. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I love it. Uh, is there anything else you want to kind of discuss for the final match on your Desert Island Cop? Um, it's funny.
1: It, well, I was always going to keep this match, but um, dating back to the match previously, I was thinking about dropping this match because I realized. Um, two things that I didn't have, you know, WCW was, was a promotion that I really, really liked. I really really, almost loved. Um, and I didn't have any matches of WCW. Well, not true because you have Flair and Steamboat, but at the time it was really associated with the NWA, but I didn't really have any WCW matches on here or any ECW matches, but granted ECW didn't have like the best matches, you know. Or, but I there was a lot of matches that were fun. Um, and also, I think I, I was talking to you before this that um, I didn't have any shoe style matches. And I was thinking, I was just randomly on YouTube and putting on matches and Josh Burnett, Hideki Suzuki came on from a dream show in 2011. Have you seen that match, uh, Sam? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And that match... It's fucking awesome. And uh, I kind of wanted to put that as my last minute change to the list, but I kept it away. Um, but I kind of wanted just almost, it was almost like an honorable mention. Like I wanted something shoot stylish, um, either that, or I would have picked, I would have picked um, a UWF I match, um, like a like Takata and, Takata match, but um, just because I recently went down a rabbit hole just of UWFI. Um, you know the the eighties UWF stuff is good with with um, with you know with, T- with Takada and uh, Fuji- Fujiwara, but um, I kind of like the more the presentation of the nineties UWF I just being in bigger buildings and stuff like that just. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I just kind of like wrestling in big buildings. Not that I'm like a, like a, an indie snob or anything like that. I, or anything like that. You know, I'll, I'll go to an indie show. But um, it was just watching that stuff kind of resonated with me. But yeah, that would be my own mentions um, to that. But this match was never going to go away. This was going to stay. But um, I was thinking of other matches to cut.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, this feels so... Well put together and meshes with kind of stylistically what interests you and sort of may not your journey as a wrestling fan per se, but sort of just like a representation of your fandom throughout a period of time here. So I don't I don't know what you would possibly get rid of. I think this just kind of works. Thank you. (laughs) But we're not done quite yet. We're going to hop into our three bonus promos and angles for the comp. First up, we have Steve Austin on his ranch during a suspension from WWF 1997. Jamal, you know why did you put this promo, this angle, And it not a cop?
1: Um, just to show how great of a on-screen character Stone Cold Steve Austin is, um... It's funny because watching the watching WWF at the time, like people would be like, oh, are you a rock guy or an Austin guy? I was always an Austin guy all the way. And um, it's funny because, um, you know, rock looks like me, you know, and it's um, not I'm not mixed, but I am. I We basically share the same skin. No, we're we're both black. So but for me, Stone Cold Steve Austin was much more of an entertaining character. Um and I always liked Steve Austin going back to the W C W days and when he broke his neck, um WWF was just doing whatever they could to like keep him relevant and I thought this segment was just perfect um way to incorporate a character and not um and not have them go away, um, a, a character that you value. And Austin's timing on this is just so incredible. His comedic timing, everything about this, it it, it makes me crack up every time I watch this. But it also hampers in. It it doesn't lose the sight of when I come back, I'm beating Owen Hart, and that's and that's what it and and that's I think that's what. Wrestling's kind of lost. It's like you can be so entertaining, but at the end of the day, what does it point to? What does it point to in terms of forwarding your story, um, and what sh- what your goals are coming back to the promotion? And that's what Steve Austin did. And as funny as it is, he's shooting arrows <laughs> in this in this this horse against with uh, with Gorilla Monsoon and, and pictures of, of Vince McMahon. He's Calling people jackasses and doing all this, all this stuff. The main focus is still when I get my hands on Owen Hart, it's going to be Hell to Pay, and that's and that's the message you come off with. As funny as it is, he's still and as entertaining as he is, he still nails it. It Is when I come back, I'm I got a match ready and I'm I'm and then Owen Hart,
0: you're mine. Let's keep the match warm. Keeping the match warm. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, every time there's an injury or something that just slightly derails plans off the tracks, it is incredibly hard to get them back on. Now with Steve Austin, though, it felt yeah. like he, by hook or by crook, was going to make everything kind of work. One of the great characters in pro wrestling. I think it's also a great way to put Austin. I'm the comp. All right. Next up, we have Arn Anderson's retirement speech. JML, why did this make the comp?
1: Um, I wanted something to represent a retirement. Um, I think we don't have, just racking my brain throughout the history of wrestling, we don't have concrete Retirements, um you know somebody's always coming back and all this stuff but Arn never did and that's a good thing you know just because of the severity of of his injury you know he's done spots here and there i mean and i think he recently just did something last week on aw tv um but you know Arn to walk out um And address the crowd, and to have at the time his best friend and Ric Flair, you know, crying there. And again, not afraid to show um, brotherhood and just not afraid to show his emotions. Even in this macho, um, wacky wrestling world, he's bawling his eyes out for his best friend having to retire. And to me, I think this is one of the best promos I'd ever saw because it wasn't really a promo. It was, he was speaking from the heart. And he was speaking how, if you if ever love me or hate me, um, I'm just glad that you were there to watch. And, um, you know, whenever you put the four fingers, you remind, it reminds me of, whenever somebody puts up the four fingers, it's it's Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Arn was more to me. Arn was the symbol of the four horsemen. It wasn't, you know, Flair's Flair. um, Wherever the iterations of the of the horsemen, whether it's um, whether it's Flair, Arn, Tully, Oli, uh, Barry Wyndham, you know, Sting, Luger, Paul, even Paul Roma. Um, You know, Arn was the constant. And there's there's no four horsemen without Honor Anderson. Um, they tried, but um, they, it was never the same. And also another thing, like I said in the previous pro, like in the previous segment about Austin, he's forward in the story, and at the end, he gives up his spot to Kurt Enning. And no matter what you think about it, about how it ended up with the whole NWO War Games. Um, match and how that ended and how however you feel about it Um, it still always forwards the story forward and it always pays it off and I think Arn did an amazing job because he spoke from the heart and he was also one of the best promo guys in the business and you'll never get that you'll never get something I don't think we'll ever get something like that um, a retirement speech but also something that forwards and gives he, give, he still gives something to back to the business and forwards another story for the rest of his, his his friends. And I thought this was great. Always sticks with me.
0: Would you say this is like the best retirement-related angle?
1: Um, yeah, because I didn't see the Mark Henry salmon suit promo segment mm-hmm. in real time. So, so yeah, I I would say yes. Um, this is the best one. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, the other the only one that comes to my mind is Mark Henry. Um, but yeah, Arnus and I think this is the best one.
0: Love it, love it, love it, love it, and love. Again, we're getting some of that. Uh, I guess some old WCW faves in some ways, with Steve Austin's your history with him going back to WCW and Arn being that promotion for so many years alright next up the finale the final promo we have here it's Brian Danielson's promo on his detached retina JML why did this make the comp um
1: this made the comp because um you know Danielson I think everybody talks about him as possibly the greatest wrestler of all time Um, and it's not just in ring work. It's how he is as a promo and he's not a traditional promo. He's not, he's never going to be Ric Flair or Dusty or, or Cena or rock or Austin or even Arn. Um, I always thought of him kind of like Terry Funk in terms of, he wasn't the most perfect promo, but he was earnest, and you always believe what he said, um, even though Danielson has gone on record saying he loves lying. so. Um, but I thought here with the Detached Retina promo, this was right in the middle of just, I think, one of his golden eras of his career. I, mean, I guess the first golden era of his career coming off the Ring of Honor title run and then having the match with Morishima. Um, just for him to talk about his, him, um, him talking about, you know, sitting down with his family, including his father. And actually his father did pass away. So I got that right. But um, it just makes me... Always appreciate Brian Nielsen as a promo and something I'll always remember all these years later because this happened what in 2007 and I still remember this promo. <laughs> um, just how earnest and how um, forthright he was in terms of how this can end his career, but he doesn't give a shit and he's coming from Hiroshima. And, again, forming the steward forward, but also um, giving a little bit of yourself, your personal self, to the audience. And I think, as performers, I think that's the best thing that they can do. And I always appreciate that from them.
0: I find it fun that you got Brian Danielson on the comp. Not for a professional wrestling match, <laughs> but for his promo work. And it's great. It's a great promo. And that alone is filled with so much energy and emotion and is something that really just harkens back to like this specific moment in time. Just puts you there in a way that sometimes matches don't. Great matches don't. But I just love that kind of juxtaposition of this is not <laughs> maybe the the skill set you associate with him on a a regular basis. I love it. I love it. JML, we've concluded. We've hit the end here. We've put together. Yeah. You put together a body of work. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how many
1: matches are you gonna watch? How many matches would you watch of these?
0: I, I'm gonna. I'll hop off here, and by the end of next week, I'll have watched. At least one more. Uh, the Hayashi versus Kondo match will be on my watch list for the very near future. I f- expect that to be the one that really jumpstarts things here. Which right. which one would you recommend me watch first?
1: Um. Hmm. That's a good question. Um. Because I know it's not a lot of these matches are not in your wheelhouse, correct? Like it's just n- something not. But you've seen. I know. Of-
0: I don't think I would be opposed to any of them.
1: Really. Really. Huh. Which matches have you seen?
0: I've seen uh, CM Lala match. I've seen Sasha versus Bailey. I've seen Dragon Six Man. I've seen Nakata versus Shavada. I've seen Kenta versus Loki.
1: Okay. Um. Hmm. i tend to think you should watch Hokuto versus Kandori, just because of your love for Msuno versus um. Was MS Uno versus uh the CMLL match in
0: Ah uh, Yeah,
1: Sancti Yeah, your love for that match.
0: Okay. I'm in. I'm in. It's, it's like, okay.
1: not. It's not as much as the blood. You know what? Because you, you might watch these back to back. You might. Might. I might recommend the the first Hokuto match because that's a bloodbath too. It's a bloodbath on the same level as that Sandra chicana MS Uno match. So this is more visceral. Um, the second one. So.
0: Well, I'll put it on the docket. I'll put it on the docket, and then I will just only you will know my thoughts on it okay refuse to share it with the world i'll go from there jml would you like to plug anything i know we're kind of deep into the show here i'll probably try to do some creative editing to get some plugs towards the beginning of this show but uh what can you plug um
1: if you want to reach me out on twitter uh, my twitter is the jml underscore um as long as twitter's still around um, but the personal project I've been working on the most is the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame tracker. For those who don't know, um, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame happens every year, um, but no one, up to a certain point, no one was taking um, public ballot ballots. Kind of like the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, you know, the baseball with the Baseball Hall of Fame, um, people are have been taking public ballots. And uh, trying to project who goes into the Hall of Fame. Well, I want to do that here. I know uh, Chris Harrington used to do it. He tried his best um, maybe a decade ago. Um, Can't do it now because he went to the Coward's Way Out. (laughs) Took the Coward's Way Out. But no, no. He works for AEW now. um, So. Uh, me and Detlef, Detlef, he does a lot of the work, most of the work, a lot of the work. Um, we work together, um, collecting ballots and um, projecting, trying to project publicly who tries to get into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And it's been fun. It's been eye-opening because um, this past year we it was the most we've gotten um, in terms of ballots. If he let me look for a second on how many did we get. Uh, get your merch, get your merch, get your merch. Uh, Let me see. Yeah, you'll probably have to... I'm stalling for time, but you probably have to maybe edit this out. But to plug the Twitter <laughs> account, it is... <laughs> uh, <laughs> to plug the Twitter account, it is the W O N H O F tracker, all one word W O N H O F tracker. That is the Twitter account, and we take in public ballots. But also on the Twitter page, we, don't, we only, not only do we take in public ballots, we also um, retweet articles and um, do some some threads about wrestlers. So right now I, we have a couple of uh, articles about Pimper or Furpo that we retweeted about the beauty pair that was done by Alex, who's also on this network. Um, Yeah, there was just a lot of stuff. And for the public ballots that we take in, we have done for this year is 72 we got 72 public ballots Ooh. and the range a lot of them range from um you know historians and uh, reporters but we've gotten some former wrestlers in the past um so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's been it's been interesting because we get certain ballots you're kind of shocked but um yeah, like um, one year we got Ian Riccimonte's ballot. <laughs> so very funny. Um, that was pretty pretty interesting. So yeah, a lot of people vote that I didn't think did vote, but a lot of people do. It's very surprising. But
0: Does it seem like a bigger pool than you had expected?
1: Yeah, a lot bigger pool. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, just looking at it. Um, Chad Campbell, like you mentioned before, he is a Hall of Fame voter. So, um, I know, did, have you had Chris Elner on this show for Desert Comp? I know you had him for Wasim well, Casts, right?
0: Yes, I don't believe I've had him on for the Desert Island Comp. I think it's one I'd very much like to do at some point.
1: Yeah, but he's a Hall of Fame voter. Um, we've got people like Carl Stern and Joe Gagné and David Bix's band, Dave himself, um, Brandon Thurston, um, you know Crimson Mask. If you've if you've ever been on the Wrestling Classics forum, we've got his his uh, his public ballot. You know Cubs fan. Um, if you're into the message, if you're from the message board era. Um, it's kind of a who's who on the public ballots. So there you go.
0: Go uh, follow along with the tracker, follow them on Twitter and keep up date. Cause I think it's one of the few things that have reinvigorated my interest in the, the UN hall of fame over recent years where it felt like for a period of time after certain forum members weren't making case, these big elaborate cases, on message boards We're starting to seem a little bit of a comeback with that, I think a large part of that has to do with the tracker as far as like there being an outlet for some of this information this research and this these cases being made to at least be promoted somewhere to have a light show shed on that
1: yeah we kind of wanted a central hub for where people want to go and i've thought of maybe expanding it to a website um, kind of like the the baseball tracker guys have done but they their following is mostly Twitter and it's kind of the same thing with us too it's mostly Twitter so as long as twitter's around we'll we'll be around too so there you go
0: there we go and you can follow the we don't know wrestling podcast network at wdk wdkwpn on Twitter and who knows where else because again Twitter could be blowing up Momentarily. But thank you all for listening. And JML, thank you so much for being on Desmond and Com series.